The Spirit of the Lord has been crying out is what we will receive and what we will hold fast to. Is it devotion or delusion? What is devotion? When it comes down to God Almighty, devotion is holding fast, not only to His Word, but to hear His voice loud today and to practice the disciplines that He's given us in His Word. Devotion. What the Spirit of the Lord is crying out to His people today is devotion. Be devoted. Don't just be complacent. One of the greatest enemies of devotion is intermittent, to come and go. If there's any way to agitate the Lord in our walk, it's to come and go. He's made it very clear. I think possibly at some point in Apostle James's life, he had enough of people coming and going. He probably saw that at one point they were very committed and devoted and in a time of trouble just pressing into God and, and even giving glory to God and praising Him for a, an answer to prayer or a miracle and then only to find them waffling. Sometimes just days later. And he said, don't be double-minded in your faith. And the Spirit of God has given a testimony for the people of God in this day and in this hour. On one hand, he says that we are those that are equipped and made to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And then on the other hand, he chastises the contemporary church, the church that's alive today. He chastises it and says, I, I want you to be hot. And if you can't be hot, then be cold. But don't be intermittent, don't be lukewarm. I mean, how can we expect to have faith to overcome if we can't overcome in the moment we're in? I think of little David. He came out of an isolated environment. God had sanctified him and separated him unto himself, even from his older brothers. He was the youngest one. He was the one who watched everything and whose father said to him, go out and tend the sheep and stay with them and don't lose any of them. And it doesn't matter how young you are. And so he was challenged, first of all, with his own fear to overcome how meaningless he was to the family, how puny he was compared to his older brothers, the warriors, the fighters, the soldiers in the army of Israel. His assignment was to watch and shepherd the sheep. If you've ever seen a, a little shepherd boy in the desert, 
It's really something to behold. Little Bedouin boys walking in Judea and Samaria and their sheep scattered on the hills, but yet when they make the sound, the sheep begin to come with them. And in Africa, as we walk through the wilderness and the area in between, arid and dry, you would see the, the little shepherd boys tending the sheep and the sheep would follow them across the road. And they had a, a staff in their hand in case there was a wild animal or something to come against one of their own. That's how David trained. Left alone in the wilderness to tend to the sheep. And he had challenges. Every one of those he could have ran from. Every one of those he would have been within his rights to say it was too big for me. Which one of us would fight a bear for a sheep? Which one of us will fight an invisible enemy for our God? And, and that wasn't enough, so God gave him that faith and increased his faith so that he was preparing him for greater days and greater moments and bigger giants. So then he sends the lion. Now you might want to say oh, that's just a natural predatory environment and the lion just happened to come, but no. No, God was testing him. And God sent him the most ferocious beast that was there in the wilderness to take his sheep. Interestingly enough, the world doesn't the word doesn't tell us that he killed the sheep, the lion. Here's the visual I get. The lion, just like a mother picks up its cubs by the scuff of the neck, took that sheep alive. You know why I think that? Because the Lord would not let that sheep be harmed under the praise and worship of the shepherd boy. The way he got his courage, he played a harp. A little ten-string harp, David's harp. Nawud Naham. I remember a prophetic moment in Jerusalem. It was 1985. And there was some prophetic harps that a messianic couple that Adan Aliyah from Boston were led of God to begin the craft out of the finest woods and, and they would embed them with stones and jewels and the, according to what you could afford that's the, the quality of the harp that you got and it was ten strings David's harp and they gave one to the chief rabbi and he came to that platform in the Benyaneahuma the same place where the war trials were held for the Nazi Jew killers. The same place where we worship and raised the praise of Yeshua HaMashiach. The same place where most of the major 
convocations in Jerusalem happened for so many years, both secular and spiritual. And he came out, that rabbi came out with that harp and he held it up and he looked at it and he showed it to all the Christians that were there, 5,000 of us. And he prophesied. A Jewish rabbi, the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, he's not alive anymore. He prophesied. And he said that according to the Talmud, according to the word, according to our culture and understanding, it says when this harp is made again in Jerusalem, that the Mashiach will come, the Messiah will come. Do you think that Jesus was in the sound of the harp as David played in the darkness? Just him and the Lord growing, maturing, devoted. And he got a vision of the shepherd. Jesus, Rob. And he saw the sheep. Before God allowed him to be a warrior, he first made him a shepherd. He finally gets another menial task from his father. Bring your brothers some food, some provision. They're part of the army that's surrounding the valley between them and the Philistines. There's a stalemate. Nothing's going on. They're running out of supplies. Bring them some food, probably some fresh lamb that the shepherd boy had tended and prayed over for so many months and nights and days, praying over those sheep with a song of the harp. His assignment was only to bring the food and to leave. But then he heard a voice. He heard a voice, an ungodly voice, booming and echoing louder than anything he'd ever heard before. It was thunderous. And it came from this huge being, nothing like he had ever seen before. A Goliath of a giant. Big hands. Big shoulders, big head with armor that was too much for any man to carry and a sword that was as big as a beam to build a house with. And he heard that man challenging the soldiers of Israel, but that's not what got his goat. <laughs> it's when he cursed the God of Israel that little shepherd boy who was intimate with God, that little shepherd boy who had learned to pray over the sheep, who had learned to take the sheep out 
of the clutch of the bear in the mouth of the lion who had learned to rely upon his staff and his rod for comfort. That shepherd boy, he turned on his heels and he said, who is this godless, cursed heathen that curses Israel and the God of Israel? And he looked astonished at this army. And they were cowering, isolated, sheltered in on a hillside, shaking with fear, waiting for their man, King Saul, the biggest one in their army, but nowhere near as big as that giant, to put on his armor and at least fall on his sword or go fight for his country and his God. And David did what David was trained to do. He said, I'm going to go fight him. He went to the king for permission, and the king scoffed and laughed at him. And then finally, the king, as if just to say, what have I got to lose? Tells him, take my armor, take my sword. And David falls under the weight of it. He said, I can't go to war with these weapons. I don't know these weapons. This isn't what I trained on. Beloved, we don't know the weapons of the world that are being released upon the body of Christ right now. We haven't trained in those. We've trained in other weapons and the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. Our weapons and our faith isn't gonna be found in a vaccine. Our faith and our weapons isn't gonna be found in some scientists somewhere saying a curve has now gotten to the point that you can settle with it. Our weapons, our warfare isn't going to be mandated by a government. Our weapons and our warfare is what we've been trained for. We've had many giants in our lives. I know I have, and I believe you have too, and you've overcome many giants, and sometimes we had to step back and relearn it and fight it one more time, but we overcame them. Cancers and blood diseases and deaths and divorces and separations and imprisonments and all kind of things. You know the ultimate story. David relied on the weapon in his hand that he had practiced and that he was comfortable with. And when he released that stone, he didn't need three, he only needed one. I don't know how accurate a shot it was, but I know this, God guided it and put some force behind it and it planted between the eyes of that enemy. And Israel was delivered and the anointing of God went throughout all of Israel to say, there's a brave young boy who defeated the enemy single-handedly with one stone. One stone. Devotion. Who are we? Who are we? Who are you? You're listening. 
wherever you're at, I'm, this is not being condemning. This is, this is a call. This is to exhort people. Get up and go. Get up and go. I'm going to share a word in a moment, and you're going to realize how thick the plot of the enemy is to steal the identity of the people of God right now. It's not about resisting decrees or government or medicine or common sense. It's not anything about that. It's about establishing who you are and who I am. Who am I? Can I really do all things in Christ Jesus? Or is it just something I like to say? If he is for me, can anyone really be against me? Or is that just something I feel good like the Wizard of Oz behind a curtain until the curtain is pulled? And then I'm feeble and my knees are shaking and I'm exposed and I'm scared. Is he who is in you greater than what is in the world? Is he? Is he? You see, I believe the church is under its first big test of the gloom and doom that most people thought they weren't going to see. They were going to rapture away. <laughs> yeah. I've been shaking my head to that since 1980 when I found the Lord. And I'm not gloating about it. I'm saying, get ready. Get ready. Quit looking for an escape and look deep inside and get strong. And don't be worried about what's coming on the world. Be prepared. We're not asking for it, but we're not running from it. If we aren't strong, who will be? Where's that voice going to come from? Hmm? Politicians that are locked down in their basements and Zooming us and telling us how great they are and what they're going to do for us. State governments that say it's good to have a liquor store, but don't dare go to church. Go get all the marijuana you want and smoke it at home and lose some more of your mind, but don't go to church. Because at church, people fellowship. And if you're sick, don't go to a hospital. You might get the invisible disease. So stay home and die. So that you don't go out and die. Do you realize how irrational this has become? Do you realize the nonsense that has become sensible? Really? I was watching one thing. I was waiting to see when would this president say there's enough and tell churches to go back. There was a big call, 1,500 pastors on it, but the president and Pompeo and Patty listened in for us. I, I had to work. I was outside working. I was, I've been working. I never quit working, right? I'm going to stay home in my house and not pay my bills? Really? 
really? Really? I'm going to hide in my house and watch the invisible enemy running on the outside waves. And then some idiot's going to tell me three weeks ago, guess what? I think it's good to go outside in the sun and get fresh air. Really? I'm a country boy. All I've known is the outside and the fresh air and the sun. There's a spirit of delusion that's been loosed in the earth and it's been there a while. We're going to expose it a little bit this morning and probably more this week and next Sunday. It's a spirit of delusion. It's brainwashing. It's called mental side. Uh, the psychologists call it mental side. It's something that your brain begins to hold on to as a pattern that causes you brain dead to the things of normal life. Mental side. We have infanticide killing babies all over. We have genocide. We have all kinds of sides and sides. Now we got mental side. Steal our brains, steal our minds, steal our will, steal our identities. Are you devoted? Who are we? Let's just worship the Lord with this song before we have a brief message, okay? I've already given you part of it. And that wasn't scripted. Am I angry? Yes, I'm angry. Who am I angry at? I'm angry at the devil. good news for me I don't care what people say so I say it and I'm not looking for invitations anywhere I don't want to go anyway I'm not trying to make money off of ministry never have and couldn't if I wanted to don't know how there's a prophet called Micaiah Yee. 1 Kings 22, read about them. There were 400 other prophets and they all gave King that he wanted to hear, King Ahab. He, they gave him the message he wanted to hear that he could go out and destroy his enemies and take back Rekakanan. And, and, and they, they all joined in unity with a message to the king, but for some reason he sent for the prophet he didn't like because this prophet didn't always say the sweet things that itched his ears, but he really wanted to hear what he had to say. And so he went to him and, and first he scoffed him and said what the other prophet said, but he said it with an arrogance. And the king knew that he was just working him. So the king said, why won't you tell me the real truth? But the king didn't want to accept the truth. And then he told him, he said, if you go out there, you're going to die. He said, you're going to lose because your heart's not right with God. And he said, the Lord sent a lying spirit into the mouths of those 400 prophets. Hmm. Led by Zedekiah. He said, they're lying to you. But God sent the lying spirit because you want to hear from a familiar source. 
the body of Christ today wants to listen to familiar sources. And, and because of that, the spirit of delusion is permeating a lot and people aren't hearing. And the same old messages are coming out regurgitated. And there's no accountability. God never intended a prophetic word to be a de democratic vote. Because people don't know what the mind of God is. The Holy Spirit does. So, Ahab didn't like the word. He put Micaiah in jail. Told him, feed him with affliction. Bread and water. Until I get back and show him I'm alive. And then I'm going to kill him. Guess who won that one? And Ahab tried to disguise himself. He didn't wear his king's robes. In fact, he told Jehoshaphat, put him on, and, and Jehoshaphat became the fox with the burning tail, and Syria's chariots went after him until he finally screamed and took off the robes and said, I'm not him. They go, oh. Ahab, dressed like his soldiers, trying to hide in the ranks. Interesting, a stray arrow found him and wounded him mortally a stray arrow you think it was stray you think david stone was stray found him killed him and they washed his armor off in the local brook and took the blood out and the dogs lapped the blood just like the prophet said they would and the prophet had a couple days of a good meal of affliction those are true prophets. A prophet who's willing to be afflicted in spite of it. That's the true word of God. Those are the ones we look for. Not the masses. Not publications every day that have three or four different prophetic words, all which are mostly useless. Does God send a spirit? that lies? I think so. That's what he said. Is God putting a spirit of delusion upon the earth? I believe so. That's what he says. Is the body of Christ immune to it? I don't think so. Because we're not walking like we are. More people are talking like it than are walking like it. thousand may die by your side. Nothing will touch you. I'd like us to turn to uh, 2 Thessalonians. And starting in chapter 2, verse 9, if you would, please. And uh, I just want to read the word there a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, this is a prophetic part of the, of the Word of God, which has been interpreted every which way but Sunday, right? And uh, I'm not going to try to lay out some eschatology with it so much as I am to, to make a statement and a declaration. Um, 
This is oftentimes referred to uh, by those who are uh, tribulationists and um, with the fact that at some point the Holy Spirit's going to be lifted out of the church and everybody that's left is going to be fending for themselves without the guide of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and shame on you if you're left. That's the way this is interpreted many times. Evidently, you probably know it's not the way that uh, I believe or preach. But let's read it. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. And uh, let's keep reading. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth and that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And they, they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The contrast here is the difference between deception and truth, lawlessness and righteousness, being chosen and being lost. If we just look at it in that simplicity, then it becomes easier for us to comprehend and understand where we fit. Um, the coming of the lawless one. Well, the lawless one has been in the earth for quite a while, hasn't he? So it's not a new one who's coming. We know who he is and he's named. It's the working according to Satan. We know that there is a spirit of antichrist and we could get into all of the confounding issues of what's going to happen with the antichrist, etc., etc. I don't want us to get lost in that right now. I want to focus on this spirit of delusion. And I want us to understand that God does send things. Contrary to gospels that you might have heard or contrarians who think that any time we want to ascribe to God some form of judgment, then that somehow we're telling God who he is and what he isn't. I dare say we should be very careful not to do that. Correct? Some people have drawn a line between Malachi and Matthew. And anything that's on that side of Malachi in the Bible called Old Testament the, can contradict what's on the right side that goes into Matthew and the New Testament. And that we don't see the same God that was the God of the Old Testament. We have a different God in our, in our faith. The same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but somehow he's changed. And because he's given us grace and mercy and salvation in Christ then we too can believe in a different form of God. No, he's the same God. And we don't do well to pick and choose what parts of Scripture we want to uh, conform to or receive. We also do well to balance God as a merciful and gracious God. You know, I was praying, um, started about my hour, the 3 o'clock hour, I usually laugh because I figure Ralph Roy is probably getting waked up about the same time. Kim's laughing because they do too. There's those of us who get called at that hour. That's a prayer hour. That's, that's a warring hour. And uh, somebody else just said, I do too. So welcome to the war. And um, 
And as I was praying, you know, it leads me into things, and probably close to about 5.30 in the morning in the twilight zone, going in and out, in and out, which is a wonderful place to be, I got a, uh, a vision dream, and it was a very brief one. And it sort of caught me by surprise because there was a lot of chaos and fending going along, and people were scurrying to and fro. And I remember uh, I had a little supply truck, uh, like a, a cadet, uh, a mule that you would have on a farm, which I happened to have one, and there was stuff in the back, and, and people were trying to take stuff out of the back of my cadet while I was coming through this busy street. And, and I was thinking to myself, should I fight them or should I let them have it? And I finally said, ah, I don't care, because I can get more. That's how I felt in my spirit. I'm not restricted to just what's in there. That's, it's a shame that's all they could see, and they think they need to steal it, but I can get more, so let it be, laissez-faire attitude. And I pulled up to this building, and, um, and, it, and it had a, uh, a sign, a name on it, and, and it said uh, Mer- Mercurial, Mercurial. And I thought, Mercurial? What is Mercurial? And I'm thinking real quick, Mercurial. And then it said, closed for the time. Closed for the time. And I awakened after that. And I prayed about it for a while. And, uh, and then this morning after I got to church, I started looking on the internet. And of course, I, I got the definition. But then I started seeing there was a family. Interestingly enough, some crazy family, some Calabrese Italian family. My mother was Calabrese, which is the Mercury family, and they were nuts. And uh, then, then I saw that uh, it was actually somewhat humorous. Look them up. And then I saw, uh, and then I saw some different derivations of the name. And while we were worshiping, then the Lord said to me, "Mercy." I said, "Mercy." He said, "Yes." He said, "I didn't shut." my mercy off. My people have shut my mercy off for the time. And as I was preparing to come right now, I said, Lord, should I share that now? He said, of course, I gave it to you fresh. And I said, you shut your mercy off for the time? He said, no, listen to me. My people have shut my mercy off. You see, how can we ask God for his mercy if we want to take everything into our own hands. Where's our room for God? Where, where, where do we need his mercy and his grace when we're not asking for his mercy and grace, when instead we're asking for ourselves and we're asking according to how other people lead us? And so I thought to myself, closed for the time. Mercy is closed for the time. Isn't that a sad word to get from the Lord that his believers are closing off his mercy? We're shutting down his mercy. We're isolating ourselves from God's mercy. And so I want to delve with that and build upon it for a moment. And again, we're only going to touch. This is going to be just enough to provoke you. And and I had written to you, and for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe The lie. Notice it says the lie. Not a lie, but the lie. The lie. Otherwise, the lies that are falling upon the earth and have been for a while are part of the lie. And the lie is is that God is not powerful enough, or there's another way, or that we are a different body of believing people than 
we know we should be. There's the lie. And it's a strong, it's a powerful delusion. It's not something that is just moving and coming and going to leave. It's not just an illusion. It's a delusion. And so I asked the question, really, God is going to send a strong delusion? And to whom and for what reason? Well, he told us because of lawlessness. He told us because people are rejecting the truth. Well, who is the truth? Jesus, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We must know Christ in order to know the truth, and we must seek Christ to know the truth, and whatever we're seeking for truth with Christ out of it has the propensity to become delusion. And so we see a system that is squeezing God out of it completely or putting God somewhere in the upper bleachers in the nosebleed section rather than forefront and right in the middle of what we're supposed to be doing. And prayer and seeking God in it becomes a byway because our faith is in so many other things. Now, I don't know Dr. Fauci, probably a nice guy. I don't have a clue. Personally, I have my own feelings. I think he should be less on television and more in his lab or whatever he's doing. I think he's really enjoyed it a little too much for my well-being. And the same with Amy Acton, who happens to come from the north side, God bless her, in a white coat. Anybody in a white coat always scares me. And I don't know why people think they have to wear a white coat all the time so that they look professorial. I think I'm going to start to wear a collar, a nice white collar with a black smock and a big long thing and a big hat so I can look the place and the role, and maybe you all will respect me and believe I'm who I am by doing that. Okay, my wife's telling me to reset and be nice. So... I don't know Dr. Fauci, but I do know this. He hasn't gotten it right. How come nobody holds people to accountability? Right? He didn't get it right. First he told us it wasn't coming here. Then he told us after it came that millions were going to die and we needed to do everything. Now he's telling us stay locked up all summer, but it's going to hurt the economy. The guy's conflicted. He's conflicted, and that's the blind leading the blind. Right? We have a doctor in the midst. He's been amongst death and disease all his life. He never quit. He knew what he was dealing with. His wife next to him. We have many doctors in the midst. My own brother's a doctor. He shook his head about it. He never quit. He's, he's four and a half years older than me. He's a senior citizen. So he's got a bunch of reasons to stop and quit. We all have a bunch of reasons to stop and quit. But the issue is this. Who who are we devoted to? And that's why the Lord called it devotion or delusion or, 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 or delusion. And so my next question was, and, and is this in the earth already? And, and I'm going to answer that for you. Yes. The strong delusion's in the earth, and it's been in the earth. And here's the problem with our seasons in science of eschatology that great minds and well-meaning people trying to build theology and systems and patterns have led a lot of people into it, they put finite beginnings and finite ends on the Word of God. Right? Isn't it interesting that David was anointed, but he didn't become the king for quite a while after he was anointed? Was he already anointed the king? Yes. In God's eyes, who was he? The king of Israel. But who was he to Israel? He was still somebody who was waiting for his time to come and Saul, but he was already on the earth. And the same thing with Jesus. Jesus was on the earth. 
For 30 years before his time had come, he told his mother, why are you telling me to turn water into wine? My hour has not yet come. But his mother had a different mentality about it. So his hour came. John was born and came out prophesying from his mother's womb. When did his ministry begin? Well, ask his blind father. It began that day because he got his eyes back. And a baby praised God in front of him. That was a miracle. That was the beginning of a time. And I'm trying to tell you, this time has been coming upon us for a while. Don't look for the beginning of a seven-year period and the end of a seven-year period with a 70th week that nobody understands. And all kind of horns and different things that everybody's trying to figure out and put it in a place. And a spirit of strong delusion that has to begin at a certain point so that we would all know it. And when it does, we're going to know it because the Holy Spirit's going to leave. That's rubbish. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I must go and I'm going to send you one. And he will lead you in all truth. How are we supposed to know the truth if we don't have the truth? God wouldn't do that. That doesn't make sense. That's people's eschatology. That becomes a religious theory. And we all buy into it. And so, you know, Frank's blaspheming that we're in a spirit of strong delusion. Well, I've been saying it for a while. Because just look, how can you not look at what's going on in the world and, and, and turn off your televisions with the media and not a media, turn him on, turn a media off. And, 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 and how can we not listen and, and read and see what's going on in the earth and not believe there's a delusion? I mean, the God of the Super Bowl, huh? The God of the Super Bowl, the last God of the Super Bowl. Do you remember who was the headliner, who she was? I'm not going to mention her name. Well, you know what she did before she went out with her daughter and some of the other people? They had prayer. But who did they pray to? The one of all the energy. The one of the light. And so they prayed and then she came out dressed as if she shouldn't be dressed at all. And the God of the Super Bowl praised something. But nobody knew what. That's not delusion? That's not delusion? What is that? And it was watched by more than ever. And the ratings were high. And it made all kind of money. And it made heroes out of people who aren't heroes. Now, don't get me wrong. I like a good game. But my hero's not a quarterback. My hero's not a football player. That's a guy getting paid a lot of money to win a game. He's not winning a game for me. Okay? My life goes on with or without that game. My hero... First and foremost is Jesus Christ, superstar. That's my hero. And secondly, the hero that I need every day that I thank God for is the Holy Spirit. And God's not going to take him from me. I need him. I rely on him because I can't know the way, the truth, and the light without him. And I know my God doesn't want me to be blind leading the blind and have the blind leading me. I know that. And so we're in a, a, a season and a time of strong delusion, and, and it's part of preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. So if that's what we're supposed to be doing, what are we doing with the strong delusion? Getting lost in it? Getting afraid of it? Falling into chaos? And, and what is that strong delusion? How does it work? What does it do? What should we look for? Are we susceptible to it, and how do I avoid it? And I said it's time for God's people to ask the tough questions and, and to get the answers and then to react to them. Why? Because Jesus is coming. 
Jesus is coming. So, guess what? A pandemic's not going to stop preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. And just because this was declared a pandemic doesn't mean it's, it's the only problem we've had in the earth for a while. <laughs> Compared to others, it's not anywhere near as serious or tragic. You've heard me, and I'll keep harping on it. Babies are just getting killed every 15 seconds, almost two babies every 15 seconds. Oh, and another delusion, a great spirit of delusion. How about the president of Planned Parenthood? She came on, oh, looking so nice, motherly, sensitive. And she said, there's a silver lining in the pandemic. I almost came out of my chair. I said, really? Maybe she's going to say we quit killing the babies. She said, no, no, we figured out how to do it with telehealth. And all they have to do is call Planned Parenthood, and, and we have a doctor or somebody, a technician, to talk to them with telehealth. And then we arrange for them to drive by, and we give them two pills. They don't even have to see a doctor. And they take one pill one day and one pill the second day, guaranteed to kill that child. There's a silver lining in it. We've reinvented Planned Parenthood. That's what she said. And guess what? I'm not being arrogant. I'm the only voice I hear crying out about that in the body of Christ right now. I told my wife, I wanted to break my television. Could you believe that evil that came out of that woman's mouth? We got an easier way to do it. Telehealth. Telehealth. Just drive by two pills, boom. And it lies. It's painless. It's not painless. It causes pain. And it's safe. No, it's not safe. It's killing women. And it's killing the baby. And it doesn't have any long-term effect. We'll say that to people who psychologically are having trouble dealing with it. Or say it to people who have physically been harmed. There's lies. A strong delusion. Believe the lie. You know what the lie is also about humanism? What's good for me and good for you. That's the best thing. Because guess what? God wants what's good for us. <laughs> That's too hard. God wouldn't do that. Now we're going to tell God how he's going to be. We're reinventing God. And so, yes, it's not a totally godless society. It's a society that has different gods. They may not have the name God, but they have different names. Believing the lie. And so, strong delusion. We just understood devotion. Devotion is actually dedicating ourselves. Devotion to God is dedicating ourselves to His cause. That's what made the disciples who they were. And that's why they gave till their final drop of blood. Martyred. They were martyred, every one of them. Why? Because they were devoted to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they had an assignment. Their assignment was to establish the church, the ecclesia. To build the body of Christ, to evangelize places, and to multiply and to build the body of Christ in the church and to receive the word of God and give it to us, amplified by the spirit of revelation. Devotion. That's what God's calling us to. A devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ and a devotion that says, I'm preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. That's who we are. That's the time we live in. Yet, we're looking for the beginning points and the end points of a seven-year period of time, so we figure, where do I fit in that? How do I get out? 
That's the lie. You understand? That's delusion. And how much of the body of Christ is caught up in that delusion? Just go look at a lot of the preambles of the mission statements of a lot of churches. That delusion's in a lot of them. Because people would rather believe the lie. It doesn't mean they don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. I'm not going to go there. What it means is they're promoting a lie that does not edify the body of Christ. That does not edify the body of Christ. That doesn't build up the body of Christ. That's a displacement theory. You know what the replacement theory is of Israel? Real quick, you know what that one is? That was when they came out and they said that Israel had lost all of its blessings. That was in the Old Testament and the church has replaced Israel. And all those blessings came upon, uh, upon the church and Israel no longer has promises. Well, that's the replacement theory. Now we have the displacement theory. That the body of Christ isn't supposed to suffer. That the body of Christ doesn't supposed to pay a price. That the body of Christ isn't supposed to prepare the way. It's those who are left. <laughs> The mindless, the blindless, with no Holy Spirit, they're supposed to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Boy, that sounds like God. The blind leading the blind. And somehow, some way, through their own intellectual ability with no Holy Spirit, they're going to get enough faith to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and to stare death in the eye and lead a bunch of people faithlessly without faith into nothing. God builds upon what he does. He doesn't tear it down. God's not in the tearing down basis of his faith. He's in the building. And it's been building upon the patriarchs. It started with, with the beginning with Adam and Eve in the Adamic period, and we've got it through the Abrahamic covenant, and we got it through all the covenants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Davidic covenant, and we got it through the prophets, small and big, and here we come with the new covenant with Jesus Christ, and God's not about to throw a monkey wrench into it all and say, that was for naught, this is a new time, no Holy Spirit. Really? That doesn't even make sense, let alone define God. That's not who he is. I don't understand all of eschatology, and I purposefully don't preach it. Because you know what? I haven't found one person that does. What? Yeah, not one. They seem to get more into it, and then all of a sudden, you have these big, long charts with dates and times and moments and this and that and pre and mid and post and that, 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 and I look in there and I scratch my head. And I say, that's either the brightest person that was ever born or the most ignorant one. But there's no in-between, because if you're saying things about God and you're wrong, you should shut up. If you don't really know what you know that you know, you're better not to say it. Sound harsh, Frank. I am when it comes to that. I fear the Lord. I fear God. And I don't want to preach a gospel that's not God. And if I don't know it, I'm going to be quiet until the Lord says it. And if it comes through someone else, that's even better. Thank you, Jesus. And so here we sit with a, a period of strong delusion. I've got to hurry, and I'm just going to touch on this. Do you know that delusion is defined when we look medically and especially into the science of psychiatry and, and even with psychology? It's designed as a pathological state. 
and it's both physical and mental. And there's different disorders that are assigned. This is how science has looked at it, how mental science and experience has looked at it. One of those is called schizophrenia. Oh, we don't have schizophrenia in the church. Really? Hmm. Another one's paraphrenia. Another one is manic episodes or bipolar disorder or psychotic depressions. We don't have depressions in the church. There's nobody depressed that's in the church. Hmm? And then I like this. They, they, they categorize delusions into four different groups. <laughs> I sort of found this humorous. Bizarre delusions. They're clearly implausible. They make no sense at all, and you can't understand them in ordinary life. That makes it a bizarre delusion. We don't have that in the church, do we? I don't know. I recently have heard some people that, especially one, all of a sudden he's starting to call the supernatural of God mystic. Ring a bell? Shut that book and don't read it. God is not mystic. Mystical is, could be spiritual, but it's not God. God is not mystic. God is God. God never called himself the mystical one. So why should we call him a name he's not? Hmm? Bizarre delusions. Not plausible. Not plausible. Unless you think witchcraft is plausible. Non-bizarre delusions. Even though it's false, it at least technically could be possible. Hmm? I mean, that could be something like saying that, well, you know, I know it didn't happen, but my car is going to float if I put it in the lake. It's not going to sink. Technically, it could happen. There could be enough air inside that would hold it up and, and it wouldn't sink. A non-bizarre delusion. Or they said a mood congruent delusion. One where it's either a depressive or a manic state. And somebody actually believes that somebody talking them through a television is giving them wisdom for their life. Isn't it something that you never saw through the apostles in the New Testament, life coaches. Did you? Huh? You can get a Christian degree as a life coach. I think maybe that should be pastor, evangelist, teacher, prophet, apostle, life coach. Think about it. Where'd that come from? I don't know. Is it about control? Is that in the Call of the Ephesians, the five-fold ministry. Now we have the six, seven, and eight-fold ministry. The life coaches, everything in between. Pick one. And people, how many of you ever met a life coach whose life is all screwed up? It's not that they went through something that they could teach you and they say, I once did that, but now I'm found. I found Christ. I can, I can relate to you, but they're still having problems. And they're going to coach my life. Life coaches. Mood congruence. And mood neutral delusions. Oh, I love that one. That would be like saying that um, an extra limb is going to grow 
out of the back of your head. Now, that's neither depression or mania. It's just mood-neutral delusion. And we start teaching that to our children. We want them to be creative, but we let them get creative with the wrong stuff. Just as long as they're creative, don't stop them. But I'm, I'm seeing a wolf at night over my bed. Oh, that's so sweet. You're being creative. No, it's a demon. Child's trying to tell you about a demon. One of my little girls told me that there was a, a wolf visiting him at night for three nights in a row, and she was crying, and I stayed next to her that night, and, and, and the minute I saw her start to quiver and move, I rebuked that thing. I cursed it in the name of Jesus, and it was gone. It wasn't creative. It was demonic. But we want to make sure that we are those who don't repress and stymie anything that is outside the norm. Illusions, they distort the senses. I could go on and on with all of that. Here's what I want to get to. This is the one I want to get to. Brainwashing. Do you know that brainwashing is a form of delusion at its worst part? Interestingly enough, it's defined by our CIA as mind control. A Nazi came up with something called menticide to kill the mental capacity of somebody's mind to make rational decisions. It's also called coercive persuasion, thought control, thought reform. Oh, you're going to like this one. Re-education. That's called brainwashing, which is the most dramatic definition of delusion. Re-education. I don't know about you, but they sure have been trying to re-educate me since February and March. Huh? And they're doing it to our children. They can't go out. They can't even they can't even play with each other's crayons. They they can't fellowship. They they're being told this is going to be this way the rest of your life. This is new. And one really mindless mayor out in Los Angeles is telling the people we're going to stay shut down until we get vaccines. And what's he going to do when COVID-20 comes out and that vaccine doesn't work? Let's shut down again. Because you know what? The most dramatic way to brainwash anybody is, are you ready? Fill them with fear and isolate them. I could give you a manual on it from the Chinese government when Mao took over. Fill them with fear and isolate them. And let them know that the government is going to get them out of it. Hey! Hey! That's brainwashing. Now, it might be humorous when my 13-year-old grandson came to me and he said, the man from Harvard, Grandpa, said, we're going to be living like this until... 2021 and there's going to be another wave. Harvard that was founded on faith in Jesus Christ is putting fear and isolation into our children. It's not a laughing matter. It's time to fight.
Now, you say, but pastor, are you saying that we should join the ranks of those who are standing outside with, and saying, I want my rights back? I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you to join the ranks of the body of Christ and say, we are not afraid. And you're not going to take our identity. And guess what? I heard a very wise person say two days ago. She's sitting right here. She said, you know why we're not afraid? Because if we die, we know where we're going. It's my wife. That's why we're not afraid. We know where we're going. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. God isn't going to take us until it's our time. Nothing named COVID, a bullet, an airplane, an earthquake. How many fears do you want me to tell you about? How many terrors at night that he says do not be afraid of? Name one, take it, take a pick. Stay home. Don't go anywhere. And what are you going to do when an airplane hits your house? Or a gas well blows up underneath it? Or a car rears off the highway and ends up in your bedroom? Or your gas line breaks and gas kills you in the middle of the night? Or a murderer slips through the window and puts one between your beans? Or you have a heart attack and you're afraid to go to the hospital because you might get something to kill you. So you just stay home and die quietly. Hey! Brainwash it. Isolate them. Fill them with fear. And then spoon feed them. And show them how good the government is. I got a solution. I'm going to close with this one. This is bizarre. I didn't do the math on it. But I think we could afford it because we're just printing money now. You know that, right? We're just printing money. I don't know, I don't know when it's all going to blow up, but it's just digital now. Three more trillion, five more trillion, $20 trillion debt, $30 trillion debt, $100 trillion debt, just no interest. Well, no interest on nothing is nothing. That's what I know. I don't know much, but my Jewish mind tells me nothing from nothing equals nothing. That's Frank's math. Right? We're not going to charge interest on something that doesn't cost us anything because we're just digitally making it happen. Well, I got a good one. I got a real good one. I'll probably run for president and win on this one, write my name in. Last I knew, it was about, what, 320 million people residing in the United States, maybe legally? Well, that's another brainstorm. Let's, let's all pass some more money and give it to the illegal immigrants so that they can live in our country illegally. Let's just print some more money. And you know what they do with the money? They send it home to the place. I know for a fact. They take the money we're printing here, they send it over there, and they all laugh at us. Now, I'm not trust me, the plight of a lot of immigrants is very hard, and I have a heart for that. I have a real heart for that. But I don't have a heart that says I want to pay my taxpayers to, to, to bail out California while they're giving away money they don't have that I have to pay back or that my children aren't going to have or that your Social Security is going to be gone. No matter what they say, it will run out. You realize that. I'm getting political, but I don't care. You can't fire me. I had somebody, I think it was Sonny. Sonny was... He says, what's your email? I said, frank at touchheaven.com. He goes, well, what happens if there's another Frank? I said, I'll go to Israel. <laughs> Where was I at right be before that? 
oh, my brainstorm of an idea. It hit me yesterday about 6 morning, 6 a.m., Sonny. This was brilliant. You're going to love it. So I said, Lord, what's the math? I think it's about 320 million people live in the country, but I, last I saw it's about 130 million families. It's a family structure. So it's 130 million, not 320 million. Okay, about 130 million families. So instead of trying to print trillions and trillions and trillions of more dollars, and now we're creating a society and a bunch of people who don't want to go to work because they're making more money not going to work than they are going to work, and there's already another promise of another couple trillion coming out so people don't have to go to work, and boy, did they brainwash us quick. And don't go to work because you might get sick and die. Stay home and let your bills pile up, or we're going to give you just enough to get your bills so much that you really need us now. And you don't have any solutions because if you don't get that vaccine, it's going to be worse. So I got a simple solution. Stop all welfare, stop all food stamps, stop all handouts, get rid of it all, and give everybody a million dollars. 130 million families, make everybody a millionaire. And then give them a financial analyst life coach. <laughs> Free. Make a deal with Bear Stearns or somebody else, Chase. Make a deal. They keep their money in the bank. They get a financial analyst life coach. And in the first 18 months, they must spend half of the money. And it's taxable. So spend half the money, buy a house. You got to buy something. Buy a business. Put it in your business. Buy an education. You got to spend half the money. So all that money comes back in to the economy. And the other half, you have three years to put it to work the right way or we'll take it back. Now, here comes the next question. What happens to the person who blows all the money real quick? You give them a one-way ticket somewhere else. I think that's a great idea. I don't know. You, you do what you want with it. Write my name in, I'm running for president. <laughs> and I promise every family a million dollars. Hey! That actually might work. It might work better than this. Because this ain't working. Huh? This isn't working. But I got a better one for you, Dr. Bing, and I'm ending with this one. Make sure you get your flu shot. We don't know what kind of flu is coming out this year, but get a flu shot. But if it's the wrong one, you're going to get that flu and this flu. So you could have A and B and the new one that comes out that changes every year, but go get that flu shot. So you don't get the old flu, but you can get the new flu. But when you get the old flu, you're going to get a little bit of symptoms from it anyway. Oh, that sounds like I'm going to get 20 COVID vaccines next year. And then there'll be number 22 and number 23 and number 24, right? And how about the shingle shot? Huh? Well, I got to tell the story. And I'm quitting. This is, this is, you can go home if you want. This is funny time now. <laughs> My brother got the shingles really bad, bless his heart, a couple years ago. And he told me my mother got him really bad. And he was telling me there in the family. He said, ah, just, would you just listen to me one time? And get a shingle shot. I said, I don't like shots. My wife, you have to drag me. I don't go to doctors. I don't. By the grace of God, 
I don't take any medicine. I don't have any pills. I don't have any blood pressure. Bless God. The way I used to live, that's a miracle. And, and so I said, he said, just do this for me. It's brotherly love. Okay, Chad, I'll do it. I said to my wife, honey, will my insurance pay for it? Because I'm cheap. She said, yes. I said, okay. So she orders it. She orders it from CVS or something. Yeah, the clinic. So they call and tell you it's in because they don't have a lot of it. It's hard to get. So I go up with my wife to go get it, and she's ready to give it. He goes, oh, your insurance doesn't cover this. I said, what? She said, your insurance doesn't cover it. I said, how much is it? She said, something like $200. I said, I'm out of here. $200? I do a lot with $200. I don't need that. I love my brother, but not that too much. You know what I mean? So, so then the pharmacist looks. Now, he's a salesman. And he says, well, you know, somebody will grab this. This is hard stuff to get by. And he looks at my wife. And what's your insurance? She gives him an insurance. Oh, yours is covered. I said, well, honey, you know, one, take one for the team. You get, you get it. You get it, and we'll be fine. You have to get two shots, right? Two shots, you get one, and then you get two. I don't know how it works. You get one, and you get two. So she gets the first shot. What do you think happens? She gets the shingles. A day later, she starts breaking out, and she looks at me, and she goes, you did this to me? (laughs) She calls her doctor. The doctor says, oh, you shouldn't get the second one. Obviously, you react to it. Really? (laughs) So the moral of the story as we close is you're going to end up getting COVID-19 shots the rest of your life every season when it comes out, if you buy into that lie. If you buy into that lie. Hmm? And you may as well get every other shot they have. Get all the hepatitis shots, get all of the... I feel sorry for our service people. They pump them up with black plague and every other thing under the sun and pump them all up and then send them overseas where there's all kind of other stuff, right? We have a son they just sent over He's laughing at quarantine. Quarantine? He goes, quarantine? What, what am I afraid of about it? that invisible enemy called quarantine? They just sent him into hell's way. Stupid. Stupid. He might get a goat sick over in the desert. Hmm? So, moral of the story, brainwashing's going on. We're going to really dig into it this week. I'm going to expose things through the scripture. I'm going to expose some stuff. And I don't care how it's received. The Lord's put it on my heart. And he told me that we have shut him up for mercy because we're believing in everything but him. I'm, again, I'm going to emphasize this. I'm not telling people to go out and do stupid things. And I'm not criticizing anybody who feels they need to do what you're doing. But I am challenging this to all of us. Are you willing to pray to the Lord to expose to you any spirit of delusion that's in your mind? Or talisman. Remember I gave the sermon on talismans last year? The rituals, the superstitions. And those who are men of understanding will fall that they might be purged.
I was very disappointed when I heard this man come out and use the word mystic. I thought maybe it was just a hiccup, but he's used it a lot recently. People look to him as a prophet. Mystic, really? We want to take the people of God into a mystical relationship? I don't think so. So I have to expose it. If it hurts our relationship, so be it. I'm exposing it to the body of Christ because it's wrong. We don't need more confusion to add on to confusion. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. That's what we need to preach. And we need to preach that he truly is enough and all that we need. Everything else God gives us is a blessing. But I believe part of the journey he has us on for these next seven weeks now is to reopen the doors to mercy. I want you to preach that what I learned was that God's mercy brought me to his grace. By grace I am saved, but it was his mercy that preserved me until I was saved because I didn't know anything about God. And his mercy and his goodness shall follow you all the days of your life. So God wants to open his mercy back up to the world. But you know who has to open that door? The body of Christ. I once had a great man of God ask me, he says, you, you put under your everything you do, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. How do you do it? I said, I'm not really sure, but I know I'll know what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. And one of the things we're supposed to do is to open up the doors of mercy again. I read a Billy Graham sermon that he gave in 1960 last night. It was all about mercy. What made him so effective is he opened up mercy to lost people. He didn't preach about a rapture. He didn't preach about a lot of other things. He opened up mercy. And he invited them into grace. And that's what we need to do as the body of Christ. We need to open people back up to the mercy of God. Amen. If you've been watching or you're here, I first of all want to pray and give an opportunity to, to know Christ, to really know Christ, not the myth Christ, not mystical God, not a God who conforms to whatever anybody wants to say he is, but to the real and living Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Lord, my Savior, my Lord. And I'd like you to pray with me a very brief prayer to open up the doors of mercy to enter into his grace of salvation. Real simple. Say, I believe in you, God. And I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And there's no other way for me to be saved but by faith in Christ. He raised from the dead. And by his blood, my sins are forgiven.
Father, forgive me. Jesus, save me. Holy Spirit, keep me. If you've said that prayer, I expect that God's going to be moving mightily in your life today, tonight, for the next several days. Listen to what he says. Get to a fellowship and in a church. Come out of seclusion. Get under a faith-believing church in Jesus Christ that believes in the power of God and the gospel of God, Christ. Strong in the word of God and strong in the power of God. We need all of that. I'm not going to tell you your life's going to be rosy from this point on, but I am going to tell you you'll have the power to overcome if you stay faithful in Jesus Christ. For dark gloom has come upon the earth, and we'll have glimpses of sunlight, and we'll have lots of darkness. Don't believe the lie. Believe Jesus Christ. And now I just want to invite everybody to say this very simple prayer if you want. What have you got to lose, huh? Say, Lord, show me if there's any delusion in my faith. Show me if my spirit has given way to any spirit of delusion. Make it vivid and clear. Confirm it in your word. Holy Spirit, show me and give me the faith and the conviction to get rid of it and to be strong. Holy Spirit, guide me. Keep me. Don't let me fall away. And don't let me give in to spirits of delusion. In Jesus' name. Amen.